Hey, you want to get high, man? That's how they do. They got wooden balls, man. in the garage i'm cory cope i'm freddie waff and we got a kickstart for you for the, the real 420 of this year 420 420 man it's 420 all month but it's really 420 today yeah yeah man it's 420 420 420 i hope everybody's being safe out there and trying to practice social distancing as i'm saying this i just got back from going to my parents for the second time in three days so yeah so I, you need more practice bro <laughs> i do I need more reps. <laughs> I haven't left the house in two and a half weeks. Wow. That's a long time. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, just looking to do my part. <laughs> flattening the curve. My flattening of the curve requires me to leave the house. <laughs> I know. I mean, I don't have a reason. I don't have a good reason to leave the house. So, I mean, it's, you know, I'm just fighting off the urge to go out for no reason because I don't need to. Yeah. Oh, I try not. I try not to, but, you know. I need my Starbucks. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want anybody touching my fucking drink. <laughs> the last time I went out, I was like, I bought one, and then immediately was like, "Fuck!" Looking at the person, like wiped their face, and I was like, "God damn uh, it!" And no, I walked out and I threw it in the trash. They're all wearing masks now. That happened for yeah, like the no, last week. but they're still like fucking jacking with their mask and like. Eh. I was like, motherfucker! At least don't what, fucking put your hand in your mouth. The one by me is in good. Front of me. They're wearing gloves and. Full of mass and everything. Everything's cool. Like, no, even when they do hand it to me, I have all my, like, my my Clorox wipes and I wipe it all down because I got to touch it. So, yeah. Yeah, I hear it, man. It doesn't mean that shit doesn't live on gloves. Uh, sure yeah, it does. I, no, I'm just saying. For me, I was like, I literally, I, I thought of it as the worst idea. As soon as I, as soon as they, as soon as I got it, I was like, oh, man, why did I just wait? But it's only $2 because I just, it was regular coffee. Oh, just drip. Drip. Yeah, that's my thing. So in the midst of us getting drowned in fun television stuff and revisiting movies and rediscovering new things or discovering old things, let's just get right to it. We had a passing of two powerhouses in in the world of film and television, and more so one for film, but the other one really had a pretty substantial uh, television career as well. First off, we lost Brian Dennehy. Boo. Yeah. This one's kind of like, ugh. But, and also Alan Davio, who is a cinematographer for a lot of big movies, including, well, some of the first stuff that, that Spielberg did. I mean, Amblin was, well, was he did the Amblin short film. So he did, like I said, he was there from the beginning. And I'm going to guess he's probably an SC grad if he did Amblin. Yeah, I would think. I mean, you know, I mean, he did E.T., man. And he did E.T., Twilight Color Purple. Zone, Color Purple, uh, Falcon and the Snowman, even though that's I not know. Spielberg. But that one was a huge one, because that's like one of the first quote-unquote movies made for an adult audience that I saw. Right, because of the cast, because of Penn and Hutton, right? Yep, yep exactly. 
But Alan did so much stuff with Spielberg, but he didn't always do super serious stuff like like uh, Color Purple or Falcon and Snowman. But for Spielberg, he also did Empire of the Sun, which is very serious. But he did Harry and the Hendersons, in which we just talked about that. I talked about that with Joey a couple of weeks ago when we covered Predator. Uh, since uh, Kevin Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. I stumbled over it too when we when we had our discussion yeah, about it. Deja vu. But you know, and he also then he moved on and did did a couple in a row with uh, Levinson with uh, Avalon and Bugsy. I'm pretty sure he did he win. No, he didn't win. He did not win. He did Fearless, which is fucking pretty amazing. Yeah, Peter Weir's I mean, Fearless. Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, you know, there's not much of what he. You know, his body of work speaks for itself, and it's. You know, E.T. is probably God. I, you know, I, funny man. E.T. is a, a movie that I remember the cinematography, especially because it was so. I mean, it's God. I still would say it's maybe one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. It's a gorgeous movie. Yeah. You know, it was the first time I was ever like conscious of like god this looks amazing like i don't think i knew it at the time but i remember watching it i don't know 10 or 15 years ago and thinking god no wonder man everything about this movie is amazing i mean just the way they make it look you know so yeah man it's a bummer um to both on the same day and Alan Dalio hadn't he hadn't worked it a long time and Van Helsing was his last and uh, I mean that was 2004 it was a long time ago he was 77 when he passed a couple of days ago but unlike Brian Dennehy uh, who died of natural causes um, Dalio actually uh, had complications from the COVID-19 so this is uh, I don't want to say it's the biggest name that's been hit by it and actually is lost from the virus but it's definitely a name that we both know pretty well. And for, and, I mean, the guy like shot our childhood, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, oh, by the way, and I mentioned, we mentioned Twilight Zone, the movie. He didn't, he also, he did uh, Spielberg's Kick the Can segment, but he also did Joe Dante's It's a Good Life segment, which yeah. is the two best segments in the thing. Oh, yeah. Well, two of the best segments. And I mean, yeah, the, I think, you know, three of the four are pretty good. Yeah. And the, and the bumpers on either at the yes. front and back are good. Land <laughs> There's is only a, one part that's not good. Right. And, I, and the tough part about that one is just, it could have been good. It could have been good. And, and, and it's just, it, it's always going to have that asterisk next to it. I mean, I, yeah, you, know, totally. you look at that and it's hard not to watch that and not think because you think borrows there the whole time. And it is hard to ignore the fact that, that you can't get that's it. Your, it's it. You're seeing the last weeks of his life. And and to know that he and, and him and those kids two chill those two children that that perished in that accident it's just ugh anyway I we're we're just gonna get through the downer moments here then we'll bring it back up yeah so if you don't know who Brian Dennehy is uh well I don't know you must be twelve but we're, yeah I mean again and here's a guy who I mean he's in all these great movies that we loved as kids yep. He, uh, the crazy thing is like we were, as we were discussing before, uh, we hit record, he didn't become, he, he was like well, almost 39 before he did yeah, he was his, almost 40, almost 40 before he did his first feature or anything for that matter, television or, or feature films. And it was a pretty big one. He was just playing a surgeon and looking for Mr. Goodbar, but still, man, look at, listen to the, listen to this run between 77 and 1980. I won't, I won't. And we'll mention 1980 a little more specifically because that was just as he was getting ready to break out. But, dude, he did. Looking for Mr. Goodbar. He was in Semi-Tough. Yep. He, he was in Fist. Yep. He was in Foul Play, play which we talked about. Right. Um, and then he had, they did that weird attempt at uh, making a, a Butch and Sundance sequel. The early days? <laughs> I mean, a prequel, I should say. Then he did 10. He did Blake Edwards 10 in 1979. 
He's just playing Don the bartender, but that's a high profile movie. You know, oh, Dud- yeah, man. Dudley Moore movie, uh, Blake Edwards, Bo Derek in, ni- in 1979. Yeah, it was had a lot of attention. And then just a couple years later, the one that really break him out for everybody was First Blood playing Sheriff Teasel. Oh, this is a this is the this is how you know that a man is just kills his craft when you're looking at a part like that. And you, and you want you want to see John Rambo murder him. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, good God. Dennehy is a guy who walked a fine line. I mean, look, it's funny because he could play an outright bastard like yep. he does in First Blood, or you know, or he's like Walter, the the alien, the, you know, the the head of the aliens in Cocoon. Who right. you know, yeah, man. I, I don't know. There's not enough. Like, there's not enough. There's I don't know if there are any actors like that these days. No. Um, he was definitely one of a kind because no matter what role he was playing in a movie. You always were interested in what he was doing, right? And uh, never a bad performance. He never—he was not a guy who would phone things in, or you could always see there was something going on there. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. Like you're noting, you understood like who he was, you understood Sheriff Teasel's position in the movie, but then I don't know, man. He—he he, like you said, the fine line he walked was always like, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? There's just times you couldn't tell. Right. But here's the thing about him. He always, regardless, he was always which side of the law he was on, which side of the fence of the of the protagonist or antagonist side of things. He always did it with such earnest and believability and just ugh, did everything he did was so freaking amazing. Yeah. I mean, the very next year after playing that guy, after playing Teasel, he shows up playing Rosie in Never Cry Wolf. Right. And that's another, oh my gosh, that's one that I didn't discover until, I mean, I was aware of. But like we talked about, like I wasn't in my wheelhouse at 14 years old. Right. But I, I, I saw it in my adulthood, you know, like maybe my mid-20s. I'm like, and of course, you discover what amazingly beautifully shot movie it is. And oh, yeah, it's that's definitely when it came around. And then Gorky Park, which you just you actually just watched recently anyway. Yeah, totally. Which we talked about during uh, during the Terminal Velocity episode. Um, it, we yeah, that was another one. I don't. I can't tell you the last time I saw that. I had to have been in my twenties, also. Yeah, it's funny, man. Uh, because I, I I remembered his part being bigger. Um, not that he's not an integral part of the script, but I hadn't seen it in quite a while, and uh, he's so great in it. But his part's not as big as I thought it was. I mean, it's really that movie's really about William Hurt and Joanna Pakula, or yeah. and you know, and uh, and well, Lee Marvin, who again, you know, Lee Marvin's. His screen time is about the same as Dennehy's in the movie, which is funny because, you know, they're both listed on the front of the box, you know, on the poster. But yeah, man, again, just another solid performance. I mean, he's playing, you know, his character is there. I don't want to give too much away in case people want to watch Gorky Park. Right. Because <laughs> it, mur- it is a mystery it movie. It is a murder mystery. Right. So I don't want to say too much. I mean, he's great in it. And then I want to mention another movie that probably is not... You'll probably know it, but I'm sure that like most people won't remember this movie. It was called The River Rat, um, and Dennehy played uh, a character called Doc Cole. The director, Thomas Rickman, I'm not really familiar with anything else he had done, but The River Rat, I remember, and I picked it up because of the box when I was young, but it had Tommy Lee Jones, Martha Plimpton, and Brian Dennehy were the stars of it. 
Right. And uh, it's one of those movies that it kind of fits into like this. There's there's some movies from the 80s that I love, things like that, like The River Rat, Journey of Natty Gann, Running on Empty, uh, things like that. And The River Rat fits in. But Mandana, he's so good in, in The River Rat. And if you haven't seen it, seek it out. I think you can rent it. I don't know that it's on disc anywhere, um, but I know that you can probably know that you can rent it from Prime. Uh, you know, if you're looking for something to watch while you're isolated at home, you know, something that may resonate, check it out. Yeah, it's not streaming anywhere right now, but you can, like you said, you can get it from iTunes, you can get it from, from Prime, Google Play, even you know, it's YouTube. They're all they're all kind of in play there. Yeah, it's and it's just a year before that Martha does Goonies. And yep. What's funny is for the longest time until I saw the movie and I did see it way back then, I thought the one sheet, I thought that was a boy. I didn't yeah, know, so did I. I didn't know it was Mar- Martha Plimpton. Yeah. Nope. I had no idea. Even when I, until I got it home and, you know, we popped it into the VHS. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> that no, sound weird? But he's killer and he's great in everything. And of course I had to go, what do I want to revisit and we had talked about Silverado so much anyway, so it was already oh, on the cusp of my uh, wanting to watch it. And I'm like, uh, well, I'm like, if that was a shove, if I ever saw one. <laughs> and then, yeah, right, a cosmic a cosmic push. Yeah, and oh, gosh, dude, that movie. I, I and, you know, I'm not the biggest uh, Costner fan, but it's one of the movies for me that he really stands out because he just... Jake! Yeah, he's just a little... Because I think what it is is because he's not playing the same dude no, man, he's doing. He, this is like the same Costner from Fandango. This is like when this was before he sort of became Costner and, in, and, you know, and developed you, that personality. Yeah, that the, the, the lack of personality, persona, <laughs> the persona of Costner. Because he has fun in this movie, and and you don't. I always got a kick out of the fact that like when you see uh, uh, the big chill, then knowing he's the dead body and the reason why they're all together. Right, he's Alex. Yeah, I go. Oh man, he's dead. That's I want to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I don't. I, I like Costner. I'm, I, I don't. I don't. I don't dislike. I, I like most. I like most things Costner's in. Gosh, Silverado. If you've not seen it, just do me a big favor. Just... Do I? Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm going to say. I do. Go ahead. Say it. It's. Uh, we've been. We've been very, very much on a kick lately since we're streaming so much about how about the proper aspect ratio and stuff. And I've and I hate to sound like. 1988 Corey about why laser disc is important, but damn, I, I don't understand why it's hard to come across a movie that I mean, this movie I, I don't I don't know if it was 235 or 240 or 239, but it's wide ass. Oh yeah, and Lawrence Kazan does not mess around with one iota of frame. He uses hard left and hard right compositions, and you it'll be heavily disappointed if you don't see it properly. And oh, yeah, man. Unfortunately, I, I don't know other than iTunes if it's being done properly anywhere because that's how I got it. Oh, I have the I have the uh, special edition DVD from like 2002, which is in scope and looks fantastic. Um, yeah, man, it is a big, big movie. You, yep. you got to see it the way it was shot. And, uh, right. you know, I highly suggest that if you're not seeing it that way, then you're not going to enjoy it fully. Nope. And uh, it's you can rent it for like that's like four dollars something like that, or you can buy it in HD for twelve ninety nine or something like that. I don't remember though. I don't, I'm pretty sure about this. I don't think it's available on Blu-ray, right? No, it's not. There's yeah. no Blu-ray of it. I mean, it's funny. I bought. I remember when I bought this, 
it came with a little booklet, like, because it was like, I feel like it was the 20th anniversary, so maybe it was 2005, but it came with a little booklet and a deck of cards. Wow. <laughs> which I still have. And, uh, like, it came with a, you know, it came in a bigger box, like, you know, the DVD was in a box, it had a booklet, it had the cards, everything inside of it. It was one of the, you know, it was, it was like a high-end DVD at the time, and I remember, uh, opening it and watching it and sort of and I, same thing happened yesterday i felt because I, I saw this movie in a theater when it came out in 85 during the summer and it was it's probably the first western i ever saw in a movie theater other than at a drive-in but like seeing it in a movie theater and having that experience on a summer day and just loving the shit out of it because it's so much fucking fun it really is i mean it's big it's got you know everything you would want in a Western has jammed into that movie. Right. And I remember the trailer vividly and just being blown away. I'm like, wait, how did they get all these people in this movie? Dude, you watching it last night. I mean, we're going to talk about all this on, we're going to talk about all this again, but yeah, I mean, I forgot half the dude. I mean, there's all kinds of people in it. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, there's Jeff Fahey. Right. And he's a, he's a, oh, he's so good, dude. He's such want, a. I, I know. I don't I know, want to say anything I either. <laughs> he, but I mean, yeah. Roseanne Arquette. I mean, they, they just keep pop. You're just like every every scene is like populated. But you're like, what? The, it's like watching like, you know, NBC must TV. <laughs> like right. You, you were you were watching a movie of people just about to blow up, just yeah. about to explode on the verge, and they're already all so seasoned in their performances. It's just oh yeah, dude, it's so good. And Dennehy is great. I mean, again, it's, you know, like we said a few minutes ago, it's one of those, it's one of those roles that, you know, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to read it. We'll talk about it in the episode. Right. But yeah, man, good call. That's our way of saying that we're doing a Silverado episode. <laughs> we're covering Silverado. We're uh, we're taking a break from our 90s action stuff as far as the releases go. We're still watching them. We're still recording them. But uh, we, what we're going to record next was going to take a back seat while we uh, make sure Mr. Denny has properly uh, remembered. And and that'll be a, it'll be a combination episode. It might not be in a two parter. I think we're going to do like a little retro- retrospect and then focus on the movie too. So we'll yep. we'll see how that goes. But we'll have to, might have to break that up. Yeah. And we still owe the master full uh dedicated episode two for Rucker Hour. So we're gonna have to get to that at, at one point soon. It's not like we don't have time. That's correct. We, it certainly isn't. <laughs> With both guys, we're going to have to make sure that we're completely up for it because uh, not up, but like upbeat, I should say, because these guys, they kind of came into our lives when we we're just in like in like our mid teens, just kind of feeling our way through and discovering our own tastes in movies and movies and, and television. Right. I mean, don't you feel like I almost feel like like they're like uncles. <laughs> yes. Know? There are people I grew up with. And like I felt like, you know, like Denny, he's the kind of guy you would ask for advice. Right. And his advice might be a little, you know, it might be a little dodgy. Who knows? I mean, he's your, you know, he's kind of that roguish uncle. Um, but he's also kind of like maybe like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's like losing a family member. And here's another nutty thing. I'm going to close it out with Denny Hemel and probably bring it up again. But, man, he had three movies that he was involved in last year. He had three movies in 2018. I mean, he didn't stop working. No. And he's got uh, he's got another flick that's due out later this year. 
and uh and another one it's uh to be determined but they're both in post-production so yeah well we'll we'll get into more we'll we'll blow we'll we'll do a little um a recap on his career um you know we can i guess we can either do that at the start or we can do it at the end of the you know we'll figure it out but yeah because there's just too much to talk about right now i mean i'm I'm just looking and i'm like god damn it it's funny because i just not knowing or not intentionally over the last two months, I've watched seven movies <laughs> that Brian Dennehy was in, and I didn't necessarily watch them because they were Brian Dennehy movies, because they're not. Um, you know, things like Presumed Innocent, you know, but we'll talk about that, because there's a lot to talk about. Good right. Lord. Okay, so next week, or I should say this Thursday, the 24th, I'm finally getting my copy of The Gentleman. Oh, yeah. And I'm very, very, very excited by it. Very, very excited. In the meantime... In this last week, I watched Dragged Across Concrete for the second time. First time for Melody. I liked it a lot more the second time. Not that I didn't yeah. enjoy it the first time. I just I think maybe because they would let it kind of all digest. It, it's definitely a movie that gets better with multiple viewings. I mean, not that I, I liked it the first time, but I mean, I found it's a movie. I've watched, I think I've seen it maybe two or three times now. And I'm with you. I mean, it's a movie. You like sort of let that soak in. It's like it's like a... You know, it's very crime novel. It just kind of all soaks in and sinks in and right. makes you think about things. What's funny about it, even though it's uh, they're totally different movies, what I, I noticed the second time watching this is kind of how I felt the first and second time I watched American Dreamer. I don't necessarily agree with the ideals behind those characters, but I understand their motivation by why they do certain things. And uh, like I said, I got that the first time watching American Dreamer, but seeing Dragged a second time, while I don't necessarily agree with the politics of the characters, you understand why they both, well, everybody in the movie takes the action they take. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to go as far as say it's my favorite Craig Zoller movie, but I can't, I can honestly say I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did the second time. Cause I usually am with these kind of flicks. I'm usually get it the first time. I usually vibe with it the first time. Right. But I, I think it is, it's a long movie. So, it, but it doesn't move like a long movie. It doesn't move like once upon a time in Hollywood. This movie has a lot of going on because there's not a lot of time wasted. Everybody, every, every frame of film that you see in there is kind of there to tell the story. I, I never feel it's too much or excessive. Right, I don't feel like they're just shooting things to shoot them to like you know, uh, every 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 scene, every word. I feel like every piece of dialogue that's uttered in the movie serves the movie. So to me, it never felt long, even when I saw it in a theater at Beyond Fest. Um, you know, it it I couldn't believe that it was as long as it was when I got out because I was like, God, that didn't seem like you know, and you know, a hundred and. 45 minutes so you know it didn't right. seem like that no to it, me and it, and it doesn't move that way too even at the end of it uh right the reaction was wait that it was two and a half hours long i'm like yeah it doesn't feel like it does it nope <laughs> yeah good movie man very much so and then we uh, had all the family night too we watched jumanji the next level the, the sequel which was fun i mean if you enjoy the first one if you know what you're getting you're getting some you're basically getting indiana jones and in the temple of whatever light it's it's kind of that right. kind of vibe and it's fun and they kind of mix things up so it doesn't feel like they're trying too hard which is good because you you get that sometimes with sequels especially movies like this and you got big names in it and it's kind of hard sometimes to manage the egos and then they added new people in it they added danny devito and they added danny glover 
Uh, and uh, as I said on my letterbox, my single line review of it, solid sequel and the additions don't subtract. And usually that, that's what happens. Sometimes adding new characters can kind of mess it up. But Lethal Weapon 2 and 3 were successful by adding some characters. This is a lot like that in the way that they were smart about it. And they didn't just shove people in. People in like Popeye? <laughs> no, no, not Popeye. Not Popeye? No, Popeye. <laughs> Sorry. That was just, you know, it's a thing now. It's a bit. It is, it is a bit, and, and we're going to keep referring to Lethal Weapon until we're blue in the face and never cover the movie. Right, because everybody's covered everybody's Lethal Weapon, covered unfortunately. It. Yep. It's my favorite movie, action movie of all time, even though Die Hard is listed on Letterboxes up there, but it's the reason why I started writing, and the reason why a lot of people started writing, but it's always going to be that important of a movie to me. Yep. Me too, man. I remember, yeah, it's, uh, I love it. So other than Silverado, what have you done the last week? <laughs> uh, man, let's see. I've not really done anything. Uh, I did go out for a little horseback action, but that was kind of it, man. I mean, I've just been working around trimming my, doing yard work and, uh, you know, until I can't stand it. It was actually, we had two nice days in a row, you know, right. moving snakes off my property, out of my garage. Always fun. Yeah, fun, man. Luckily, none of them were rattlesnakes. Right. They're just uh, friendly gopher snakes that happen to, you know, that's what happens. Well, that one you sent me a picture of outside the, the garage was massive. That was like, I mean, that's just maybe it's just the, the framing or whatever, but it looked huge. No, oh, it was like six feet long. Yeah. yeah it's a, I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty that, good sized snake, especially when they're coiled up and you can't really tell how long. Of course, you know, just you know, grew up in Southern California. The first thing I'm looking at is like, all right, I'm looking at his tail. I'm looking at the tail. I'm like at the very end going, all right, what right? is that? You got to look at the tail and the head. I mean, those, the, the head dude on rattlesnakes is scary. Those weird it little is. pit between their eyes. Uh, they, they just look frightening. You know, you see a gopher snake and they're, look, they're like kind of cute like a lizard. Right. <laughs> but you know, you know when you're looking at a rattlesnake because it's like, good God, that thing's going to kill me. Speaking of wildlife, too, which, can you talk about that monstrosity of a rabbit that you had? Oh, on Easter. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I opened the curtains. Like, you know, I was opening the curtains to let the sun in. And I'm standing there. And look, good Lord, there's a jackrabbit standing right outside my window. And that thing was at least, with its ears, like, I'm saying from my knee down, that was the body of that rabbit. And from my knee up to my hip, that's how tall he was with those freaking ears, man. Dude, he had massive ears. Melody said, he goes, he looks like cross between a donkey and a rabbit. Dude, he looks like the thing that comes out in the Joe Dante episode of The Twilight Zone <laughs> and scares the living shit oh, yes. and jumps out of the TV, out of the TV is what he looks like. Yep. Yeah, or it also reminded me there was a Star Wars comic book called Eight Against the World, like from the 70s when they Marvel did those things. Right. And there's a, and it's Han Solo and a bunch of bounty hunters that are kind of a gang, and there's a, a green rabbit named Jax. <laughs> That's what that fucking thing looked like. I was like, holy shit, I gotta get my camera. <laughs> Dude, when you sent me a picture, like, oh, you sent me two. You sent me the same photo, but then I kind of cropped out and zoomed in a little bit. Yeah, I zoomed in on it so you could see, because you could see the expression on his face and how weird he looked. Right, dude, and he and he looked healthy. Oh, yeah, he's he he's, looking, he's still around. Yeah, he looks like he might be able to eat coyotes. Yeah, he, he's, I mean, I've seen those, uh, I mean, dude, you see the feet on that thing? Dude, he's, oh, the whole thing is, you can just tell he can, you know, he can get away from anything. He looks like he's really fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that thing, you should have seen him when I opened because I went outside and he took off running up the, I mean, literally, I was like, wow. There was no, because I was, I was going to try to get a picture of him outside. He wasn't having any of that. He was a big ass, big ass monster. Oh, yeah. That's a big monster. I mean, I'm trying to think if I did anything else. I haven't done anything too interesting. Uh, you know, just watching a lot of movies, uh, you know, Silverado. 
Oh, so I, I, you know, I've been watching a lot of, uh, dude, I've been digging out of the DVD box in, in the garage. Yeah. You know, there's some things I have on DVD that you can't find anywhere else. And I don't mind the, uh, some movies need to be grainy. That's okay. Yeah. It was with us in, you know, uh, neck deep working on our 80, our nineties, uh, action movies. I, when I was putting the care package of movies together for my dad, I'm like, I took a picture of it. And I, ironically, I sent you the picture before I sent it to my mom to say, show us the dad, because <laughs> this is what I'm going to bring. I sort of showed it to you first, like, we're not going to cover any of this stuff in the next couple of months, are we? Because I want to make sure that we were good. And, right. And, but my dad was funny. Like, when he saw that I had given him, well, because I have the Criterion Doctor Strange Love, and uh, I kept the. They kept the uh, the Warner Brothers one as well. The you know the book the book one. What do they, they call that book series? Where it just opens oh yeah up. the uh, right like because um, that's how I have the Bruce. That's how I have Enter the Dragon. Right. I kept both. Usually I have I, I when I kind of upgrade, I'll throw throw the other ones and the old ones old ones here finger quotes uh, into a box of like hey these are duplicates. I'll give these away. There are a lot of extra extras on the Warner Brothers release that aren't on the Criterion. Oh yeah. So, so I thought, you know what? I better keep that one. I'm usually not eh, for some, you know, 90 second EPK type featurette. I usually don't give a shit, but there's some substantial extras on both releases. And I'm like, it's worth keeping for, especially for a movie like that. Oh yeah. That's kind of why I was like, I, you know, I'm not, not, I don't know about that uh, criterion version of enter the dragon. I, I have the one I want. <laughs> right. And, and you saw the details of that set. And we're, uh, Freddie, speaking of the Criterion announced uh, July releases, and, and one of them was a, a five pack of Bruce Lee hits. It's actually called His Greatest Hits, just to kind of say it's these are the, yeah. these are the ones that everybody knows The Big Boss, Fists of Fury, The Way of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, and Game of Death. And as you know, I discussed, you know, Game of Death is four or five years released after he passed. So it's kind of, and it's, it's almost like a, a musician passes and like, oh, here's these. Here's these uh, relics that we found that just were never released for that album or that album. That album, we're going to put out a whole release. And when you have these posthumous releases like that, you never know what you're going to get because there wasn't much to it. And, I mean, Game of Death, man, it took them five years to put it out. Like, yeah, five years. Because they had to, like, there's so much stuff in the movie that's not him. But that was that one was a big deal. It wasn't, it wasn't Game of Death, though, though with Kareem and, and Chuck Norris. Yeah, that's Game of Death. That's uh, yeah. well, Chuck Norris is in Return, he's in Return. of the Dragon, and then yeah. yeah, Kareem's in Game of Death, which is the movie he passed away while he's making. So right. there's there's pieces of it where you're not looking at Bruce Lee, you're maybe looking at Bruce Lai, right. you know, in the or in the yellow tracksuit. But uh, yeah, there's uh, they finished it with a double, I think. Right. Uh, I mean, I used to know more when I was a kid because I used to be way into Bruce Lee, uh, all things Bruce Lee. But based on based on the rundown that that we were kind of looking over for the for this uh, Criterion release, it sounds like all of the pieces outside of of Enter the Dragon all got the same 4K treatment. But the Enter the Dragon is a 2K. It sounds to me like they're they're specking everything off the Warner Brothers master that you already have. Yeah, totally. So it doesn't sound it, it would like we talked about. It's going to have to be a substantial. Essentially, a globally well reviewed. Yeah, I just need to hear some stuff from people, right. that, you know, that right. I know that because uh, right because we're really buying it for four movies. Yeah, because we both already have that Enter the Dragon that's most likely part of the set. 
it's probably one of the reasons why Warner Brothers agreed to do it. Say, look, you know what? You don't have to do anything. We'll give you this this 2K encode, and it, which is fine. It's a 1080 release. So yeah, but I but I have all of it. You know, between Big Boss and Fist of Fury, those are the two that I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with that remaster because they. Yeah, they, I did a full 4K scan on all those titles, with again, with the exception of Enter the Dragon. And those are, I don't own anything other than Enter the Dragon because they've always had weird aspect ratios. And sometimes you get a movie that's yeah, it's four by three, four by three. And it's like, wait, what? Man, it, yeah. every single one of his movies was like, they were like, it was like 239, 240. They've always been shot with super, super wide because, well, it just, makes the most of the scenes and these well choreographed fight scenes. If you don't get them without it, if you get them with a pan scan or heck even I've seen aspect ratio converted down to one eight five, which is just, I mean, okay, but you're still losing a tremendous yeah. amount from the size. So. Yeah. I mean, that's why that, that would be the only draw for me, is, but I would have, I need to hear it. I need to, you know, it needs to come out. I need to like talk to some people who, you know, some, I got to get some feedback first. I'm not just going to blindly do it. <laughs> Same. But that one's an exciting release coming up. Yeah. But July. Uh, uh, today was announced Comic-Con in San Diego has been officially canceled. So right. That, so that's... Did I talk about War of the Worlds? We talked lot? about it. Yeah, or yeah, did we, we talk talked about, about it off mic? Well, no, we talked about it in the Kickstart last week, and we also talked about it a little bit about yeah. Gabriel Byrne being in it, perhaps. Right. Uh, as it turns out, part of the Criterion announcements is that they have a special edition of the original 1953 war of the world's coming out I thought that was interesting timing there is no rhyme or reason to why this movie is being released now because it is 53 so it's not exactly a uh an even or a five-year anniversary right. five but this is same thing a new 4k digital restoration which to me for a movie that has the kind of colors it has is really going to take advantage of of this cleanup and and uh it's going to be fun they also doing a new 5-1 surround track on it too as well as the uncompressed original mono soundtrack which gosh dude the extras on this one this is going to be the equivalent of what we got with night of the living dead on mm-hmm. criterion it's got it's that kind of super dense uh historian type filled extras but that's the fun stuff because those are guys that are going to pull shit out of their ass that you're going to like wow i had no idea x y and z but this one's going to be a fun one and again this is but just like with the with the bruce lee one even if it is saying this is the ultimate uh of, of his greatest hits all in one little box i need to wait for that sale so yeah totally yeah i'm with you man i'm almost done with devs <laughs> yeah New season of Bosch started. I'm excited about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I can't, I don't think I've watched anything that's really current movie wise. I mean, I think it's because I saw everything kind of like during awards season that I wanted to see. Right. I mean, there's a thing coming out that I kind of was interested in seeing. I think it just came out. It's Jude Law. Uh, Reed Moreno directed it. Also, I, oh man, I forgot to mention this last week. Uh, Patty Murphy, who is a longtime movie crypt listener, somebody that I became social media friends with because of association and being a fan of that podcast and being involved in it up until recently. His first feature film is actually available on VOD now called The Perished. I'm happy he's finally got his movie out there. And, and uh, But check it out. Patty, you know, Patty Murphy's The Perished. It's on every VOD format you can possibly see right now, come across right now. So if you have a preference for one thing or another, it's probably on your one thing or the other. The Perished. 
the perished and lobby for a Blu-ray or DVD release. He actually brought that up. No, uh, I saw it. That's why I'm saying it. I saw it in it. I saw it in his Twitter feed. So yeah, if you if you follow Patty, uh, it's uh, I'm pretty sure it's at Patty Base. Is that right? I think so. Patty Murphy is at Patty Base. P A D as in David. P A D D Y B as in boy. A S S. Patty Base. But he might be Patty Bass. I don't know. Hey, <laughs> maybe he's a fan of Bass. He could be like he could love Get Bass. A black and tan on us. <laughs> Uh, he also uh, goes under the uh, Celtic Badger Media, but that's actually Celtic underscore Badger on Twitter. That's his group of people that he that uh, most of which were involved in the feature film and a whole bunch of their short films that they've done prior to that. Anyway, that's my friend plug. Cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, the last thing I'm going to say is because uh, I brought it up. The rhythm section is that movie, which I'm interested in seeing. It, uh, it looks very similar to another film that I really enjoyed called In the Fade directed by Fatih Akin. Right. So yeah, man, the rhythm section. That might be something I check out that is a current release. Uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe I may get around to watching it over the weekend. Who knows? Oh, yes. That's the one that, uh, that Reed Morano directed. Yes, that's what I was saying. Reed, Reed Moreno. Oh, Moreno Morano. Gosh darn it. So I guess I didn't say her name right. Uh, I think I think I was aware of this because Olivia Wilde had plugged her. Yeah. Uh, she directed the, another film called uh, I Think We're Alone Now. Perhaps with uh, yes Peter Dinklage and Elle Fanning. Yeah, I'm aware of her middle end. That's the that's the first movie I'd seen from her, and I recognize that. And I watched it because of Olivia, so so I was already aware of that. That's a that's a really good one too. It's uh, Giovanna Ribisi, Elizabeth Moss, John Leguizamo, Luke Wilson. Don't let the Luke Wilson thing fool you. He's actually pretty good in it. But no, that's a fun. But no, no, she's she's awesome. And I'm so glad that Olivia tweeted about it, uh, Instagrammed about it because. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see that. But yeah, uh, Blake Lively, right? Yeah. Yep, Blake Lively, Jude Law. Looks fairly interesting. I'm kind of uh, right up my alley, so I'm going to check it out. It sounds like another... Oh, you know what? By the way, okay, somebody else had watched this. Uh, Ryan Connolly at Film Riot. He watched... Uh, he's been doing the 90s thing, too, ironically. And he just covered Ronan. Mm. And I I was thinking about when we cut the crack that we made about, about De Niro, right? about not liking anything after a certain point. And I go, there's my asterisk because I love Ronan. Yeah, totally. I, 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 would, I will take the same asterisk. But that, oh man, the whole, the whole movie is so good. And, and just the brilliance of that movie. of oh, Frankenheimer. Right. Choosing not to have music or score or anything to drive the intensity of the, the car chases. Just let the sound design do the job. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's so good. Yeah, that guy knew a thing or two about car chases. Just a bit. I wonder why. Hmm. Yeah, you know. Because he made those two movies about uh, French connecting. I'm kidding, because I know he only did one. Right. If you listen to our episode of Prophecy... <laughs> you'll know. You'll you, hear something. You'll hear about our confusion from our youth about Frankenheimer and Freakin' and they're not being the same guy. Freakenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Corey on Twitter, at Corey Culp, or the official at Karate Pod, or on Letterboxd. It's Corey underscore Culp. If you'd like to follow Freddie, you can follow me at Raven Shattuck on Twitter, Rock and Roller 33 on your Instagram, and Tom Cody at Litterbox. 